You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazing with Bobby Black. All right, what's up, all you crazy potheads out there? This is Bobby Black here with another episode of Blazin. And as you know, the uh, cannabis industry is now beginning to live up to that word, industry. It's been emerging from the uh, shadows of the black market for many years now and uh, is becoming a legitimate above-the-board industry in the United States. There are a lot of people making a lot of big moves, opening up big grow houses, big processing houses, and uh, corporate money and the technology are really uh, flowing fast at this point. But many, many years ago, that was not the case when cannabis growth and sales were completely illegal. There were very few people that were willing to take chances or invest money in technology and in really studying and processing cannabis in a professional way. My guest today is one of those few true pioneers in the cannabis industry who was doing a lot of this stuff before anyone else was. He's one of the longest and most prolific contributors to High Times Magazine and the founder of Tricome Technologies, the one of the original cannabis consulting and uh, technology and research and development companies in the U.S., Mr. Ken Morrow. Kenny, how are you, man? Very good, Bobby. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So uh, as I mentioned in the intro, you I remember you from when I first started working back at High Times, low those 21 or 22 years ago. You were always a fixture. Your stories were always coming in, and you were doing a lot of pioneering stuff. You were doing a lot of cultivation pioneering and as well as hash-making pioneering. So tell us a little about uh, your history, your background of how you got involved with the cannabis industry? 
Well, I was kind of raised by High Times Magazine. I started reading it at 12 years old, you know, and at that point there was only like, you know, mm, you know, they'd only been a magazine for three, four years, but I started very, very young. So it, it kind of fascinated me, just cannabis in general. You know, uh, why was it brown and, and why did it have seeds and why, why would people put their life on the line to smuggle it and traffic it and sell it and go to jail and all this other stuff? So that matrix kind of fascinated me more so than the euphoric effect kind of sort of. Um, then uh, me and a friend uh, would smoke in his car in front of his house and he threw some seeds out in the front yard and a plant started and I asked him if I could have it. He gave it to me. I took it out in the middle of nowhere, tried to grow it, it died. But that kind of started the, the fascination with it at, as a 12-year-old kid. And as th- at 13 years old, I read an ad in High Times Magazine that was um, explaining aeroponics and a, a new growth methodology. And there was a company calling themselves Hydropot that has now transitioned many 40 years later into Hydrofarm. But I bought this little hydropot situation that basically sparked my interest in um, alternative methods of cultivation. So I never bought another system after that. I always hand-built my systems. That led to aeroponics and everything else. You know, pioneered a lot of aeroponic methodologies for cultivation, photos of that are in the book, you know, hand-built systems back in the early, early 90s and stuff like that. And then started growing really good quality product because genetics became available. And then I had uh, family ties to Northern California and got a, a lot of the early, early, really incredible land races that were available, if you will, and started breeding and stuff and things and, you know, ended up, you know, producing, you know, over 200 different unique varieties of cannabis that were, you know, covers, centerfolds and world famous in High Times Magazine Hmm. and was one of the, after Prop 215 passed in 1996, I was afforded the luxury of participating in a test with Normal and had my, was the first private individual to have my stuff tested uh, at the University of Mississippi in 1996. And so was producing superior quality products, better better cultivars that were previously available. So during the manufacturing process, you end up with a lot of waste. So, you know, we went from the love of cannabis to reading cannabis to getting good quality cultivars and then good quality waste. So the good quality waste, what do you do with that? But at that time, there was, you know, marijuana chemistry, cannabis alchemy. There was um, very little literature available on how to make hash. The art of hash making had been lost in North America. So I was afforded the luxury of meeting Ed Rosenthal in 1993, and we became very good friends. And I would go home, and I would make these nice, uh, the size of your thumb, balls of hash, and I would take them to him, and we would agree, wow, that's really incredible. And it's not like the Afghani that we're seeing today. And, you know, the, the, the art of hash making, again, after the late 80s, if you will, and prohibition in foreign lands and trafficking and laws and penalties for trafficking, became more severe you started seeing less and less hashish and even the stuff you did see was very very commercialized so the stuff that we i made was far superior to anything i'd ever seen before the flavor everything about it and so you were and you I were making a, you making dry sieve hash or water hash or yeah, both or at that time i was making first started with dry seed like just how do you do dry seed if you look at you know cannabis alchemy and marijuana chemistry it kind of takes you through a little bit of process but it kind of appears that someone was looking over the shoulder of someone else that knew how to do it, probably didn't speak the same language. So, you know, they, they, they kind of translated in the article that you take the, the, the raw marijuana and push it through a, a screen or a cheesecloth or powder it somehow and then heat it and press it into a ball. Well, that wasn't really the art of hashish making. That was just grinding a pot and pressing it in a ball, you know. Um, but there was something to that. And, you know, you could tell that they just didn't get the gist of the resin and all that other stuff. They, they just got the basic fundamentals. So then I was getting leaves, freezing them, 
um, getting a bowl, getting a silk screen, and just bouncing the, 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 the leaves on a bowl and collecting the resin that was falling through. So that really sparked, you know, the quality that I got from something like that just sparked the interest of, like, how to do this, how to do it large scale, how to do it bigger, better, everything else. And then I was afforded the luxury not to, yeah, once I started perfecting the art in larger quantities of dry sieve, uh, I got a email that was um, an American individual, we can never figure out who the American individual was, gave uh, information to Neville, the, the, the seed breeder. Um, the legendary uh, uh, Neville seed breeder, for those listeners who don't he, know, was uh, one of the main pioneers in cannabis genetics uh, and went to Amsterdam and brought genetics. and Absolutely. Went to Northern California, brought the best and brightest uh, genetics back to Holland and interbred and bred and stuff. and. Started, uh, you know, the King, King of Cannabis Castle, Super Sativa Seed Club with the drunkers and stuff like that. So pioneered what we know as the seed industry today. Um, he sent a, uh, the American told Neville, Neville told Sam the Skunk Man, if you will, Sadhu Sam, this information. He uh, faxed it to Ed, that tells him how long ago, it was in 1994. He basically sent a piece of paper that said if you put dry marijuana in a jar, and you shook it, that the resin would float to the bottom. And it didn't really work like that, but I kind of, you know, started, you know, okay, we'll freeze those resin glands. So I started with ice and cold water and all this other stuff. And, you know, in the end, called Mel Frank up and said, hey, you got to come up and, you know, take photos of this article I'm doing for High Times. And he was like, okay. So it came up, you know, 350 miles and walks into my facility. And I've got a 32-gallon drum that I'm putting the titanium chiller in because I, at that time, figured out that why put ice in there, why have that grind up the material and add particulate contaminant to the final product, and that you really didn't need ice just to maintain temperature. You could use a titanium chiller. So I was using a titanium chiller and a 32-gallon drum. There was no bubble bags available. Mila didn't have a product. DC Bubble Man did not have a product. But there was something that came with a pollinator called a cleaner bag. You were supposed to take the product out of your pollinator put it into the cleaner bag and you were supposed to shake it over a clean surface of a piece of glass or a container or whatever and it was supposed to get the lip or the fuzz or the pet hair or human hair or any of the contaminant that you didn't want in your resin out of it so i looked at that cleaner bag from a different perspective i would pour my collected product at the bottom of my barrel through that cleaner bag so that i could run clean water through it wash any kind of contaminant particulate the resin stocks or any of that kind of stuff through it. And in the very first article in High Times, I believe that was published in 99 or 2000. You know, that's the first mention of water hash or first explanation of water hash. But in the same article, we included how to do dry sieve. So it's a pretty monumental article. It explains how to do dry sieve on a large scale or small scale. And same with water hash, how to do it in a one-gallon jug or how to do it in a 32-gallon barrel. So it's pretty monumental articles. So that was, uh, again, early, early 90s, uh, 94, 95, um, wrote, and then pioneered all that and then, then wrote the article for High Times and it was finally published, I believe, in, like I said, 99 or 2000 or something. But then something else started uh, popping up and it was a superior extract to anything else I'd seen. So, you know, I did my investigation and I figured out that this stuff was um, the result of putting marijuana into a piece of PVC pipe with a hole at each end and lighter fuel was being blasted through this and it was like hmm that's very intriguing so that started the writings for the very first BHO article but I looked at it 
kind of where we are in the proliferation of cannabis in the United States. And I looked at the explosive potential of that process. And I personally made a personal decision that I really didn't want to write it for High Times magazine, that I'd rather, rather write it for another magazine that I was writing for. So I can state like, you know, state, state the, the, the method and, you know, it was the first article written and all that kind of stuff for posterity, so to speak. So I wrote it for a magazine called Red Eye Magazine in England. And in England, they had no marijuana. Now, again, this article was written in uh, the year 2000. So here we are 16 years later. If I was walking around 16 years later and I was seeing kids burnt up and, and you know, the disasters that this possibly could have caused, because it's only been trendy the past, say, five years. Yeah. But if it had been started 10 years prior to that, I, I believe that maybe we wouldn't be where we are today because of the mass hysteria of explosions and fires and burns and everything else. So That's true. I so, kind of so made this strategic. Yeah, you decided to not to do it in high times because you were worried it would reach too many people and too many people would try it, you're saying. And in the end, uh, that was a very smart choice because putting pot into a PVC tube and smoking it afterwards is not a healthy thing to do. You know what I mean? So. You know, it was just, it was the early stages. It wasn't the, you know, basically it told you how to make poison, but right. that's how we evolutionized but, and got where we are today. And yeah. And the technique, there, the technique is sound. It's just the materials and the, and the procedures that need to be done correctly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, that kind of evolutionized into, you know, um, let's say there were, there was political changes and things. And, um, at that point, you know, for, for many years, I had one editor at, at, at High Times Magazine and that was the only person I really, interacted with so to speak you know i mean i went to the 25 year anniversary party and you know met various people there and stuff but i was you know people knew the company but they didn't know me you know, and you were and, yeah, you were you were purposely off the grid i know you went for many years by the you know pseudonym k the alias k because you were off the grid and it was only a, a few years ago that you really started using your full name and came kind of out of that closet right yeah it was you know i didn't go to cups i didn't participate in events i didn't go where other growers were i didn't you know, I, uh, people have tried to use me as bait to get out of their cases before, and I would not allow that to happen again. So I just stayed away from other people in the industry and industry events and everything else. But then came the mass proliferation of BHO and stuff, and there was changes at the mag. And at that point, you and and, and the other staff at, at the magazine were, were in Northern California. So I made a decision to like come see you and say, well, you guys are – looking at this whole new phenomenon, but here, here's big, big chunks of this stuff. And I've been doing this stuff for many, many years. So if I can in any way participate to keep the, the explosions from happening, to teach proper procedures and safety and things, and, you know, what is winterization and what is this and what is that and what is vacuum drying of? And you guys just kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, okay. I want to yeah. I want to get into all of that uh, technical detailed stuff after our break, but for for now I just want to ask you uh, go back a little bit and just ask you a little more about what is your background as far as do you have education in the field of botany or engineering or anything or are you all self taught? All self taught. I have no classically trained, but I I've been afforded the luxury. Uh, I, I say I stand on the, the the shoulders of those that came before me. I've uh, had the the mass fortune of the other leaders of the industry embracing me my whole life and, and answering my questions or, or, or mentoring me or, or whatever you want to call it, whether it's Robert Connell Clark, whether it's Dave Watson, whether it's George Cervantes, Ed Rosenthal, 
getting back to um, Thomas Alexander from a magazine in the early 80s called Sensimilia Tips or Thomas Versad for providing High Times Magazine. I, I read every issue cover to cover, always <laughs> has have since a 13-year-old kid. And it's like I'm, I'm a product, as I say, of all those people, all those men. I incorporated their ethics, their values, and, and their procedures and processes and how they do things, how they view things, and everything else. So it's, that's funny because that's, that's what – you know, last month uh, we had uh, Scott Reach from Rare Dankness Seeds on the show, and uh, he, uh, when I said to him that, you know, how does it feel to be considered an industry leader or a pioneer, and he said, I don't think of myself that way. I think of myself as standing on the shoulders of giants. The true pioneers are people like Ken Morrow. <laughs> so, so he's 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 giving you that credit, and then here to speak to you and have you give it to the and and I guess that's just the way. Things are. I mean, you know, we always uh, look up to and learn from our mentors and our idols, and then we take yeah. what they've done and we move it. We move the move it up a little bit, and then you know we move it up as far as we can, and then we hand the ball off to the next generation. I guess no. Absolutely, one hundred percent true. You know, and that comes with Robert Connell Clark. You know, doing the book Hashish. Once the book Hashish came out and edited by Mel Frank, the penny dropped and. You know, you start asking yourself, why is red Lebanese red? Why is blonde Lebanese blonde? And then Rob explains to you that probably the red Lebanese was grown in a, an iron-rich environment. So the, the, the soil that the marijuana was grown in was probably a reddish color. So the reddish color you see in your hashish is probably dirt. <laughs> you know, little <laughs> things like that. Or or why, why you know, I never seen, as a child, I, I never seen a brown marijuana plant and couldn't conceive of Wow, I the ones I grow as a thirteen year old are always green. Well, why? Yeah. Well, what special one do you get from Mexico that's brown? Until <laughs> later on, it was demystified, and okay, they cut it, they lay it in the sun, and they let the sun bake it, and chlorophyll, blah 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 blah. Yeah, so. well, it's uh, really fascinating stuff, and I look forward to uh, talking to you more about all the little intricacies and, and chemical breakdown. Uh, but right now, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Ken Morrow of Tricom Technology. Stay tuned. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge, guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot, home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. 
All right, and we are back. Uh, my guest this week is Ken Morrow uh, from Tricom Technologies and also author of the new book, Marijuana Horticulture Fundamentals, A Comprehensive Guide to Cannabis Cultivation and Hashish Production. Ken, tell us what does Tricom Technologies do exactly, the company? Uh, let's see. Uh, we, have, we have bred over 200 cultivars that we still maintain and hold that aren't and that aren't considered public domain. They've never been released, put it that way. So we're a seed breeding company, but also cultivation. I've been a cultivator for over 35 years. You know, I've contributed to High Times for over 25 years, Red Eye Magazine, First High Magazine, Canada's Business Times now, as well as other various things. That was in uh, 60 Minutes in 1996 with Morley Safer, uh, CNN, and History Channel, and lots of other stuff. So um, uh, i information provider to media as well, um, but also, you know, like I said, specialized in large-scale horticulture and, and, and consulting for some of the largest gardens in the world currently, um, as well as, you know, writing for articles, writing books, um, as well as doing consulting on extractions and all extraction-related apparatuses and terpene isolation, pioneered terpene isolation before, you know, five years before any of the curtain people that are supposedly selling terpenes on the market. Yeah. I know that education has been one of the big things that you've always tried to do. And so we got to keep in mind that um, a lot of my listeners may not be as versed in the lingo and uh, background of the cannabis uh, world as some of the people we meet at cannabis events. So for the benefit of those who aren't aware, talk a little about what is a trichome? What is a terpene? Just kind of break it down real quickly for those who are, who are listening. A terpene is a plant hair. Um, some hypothesize it's uh, on the surface of the plant. Uh, they're on geraniums, they're on tomatoes, they're on cannabis. And people hypothesize they're there for, you know, pests and, and disease and sunshade. And there's many other different things. But in, in the end, it's, it's shaped like a little mushroom. There's, you know, a stocky, a bulbous, a, a glandular stalked. The glandular stalk is the one that we typically typically mm, revere and go for because it has the uh, the most essential oils and cannabinoids in it. Um, so the, the trichomes are what yeah. hold the essential oils. Exactly. They're like if you look at them under a microscope, they look like a mushroom, and the uh, mushroom head, the bubble, is what contains all the desirable compounds, be it the THC, the THCV the CBD, uh, and the terpenoids. Terpenoids are essential oils that are responsible for the flavor and aroma of cannabis, if you will. So the, and, and most of them have hundreds of these chemicals in them, but the variations of the chemicals is what dictates the final aroma or flavor. You know, So they're a very, 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 very complex chemical matrix, if you will. And these terpenes or terpenoids, which are pretty much interchangeable, right? Terpene, ter- terpenoid, I mean... Those are also present in many other plants and vegetables and things too, right? I mean, the similar compounds are ones that are found in cannabis are also found in other plants. Absolutely. Be- between plants and animals, I believe there's something like uh, the Handbook of Essential Oils says there's over 60,000 terpenes available in nature. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. So you, you had mentioned uh, briefly before that you were one of the first to pioneer uh, terpene isolation. This is really fascinating stuff to me. And I remember when you first came to me and, and showed me the isolated uh, terpenes and talked to me about it, I was just blown away. But again, for the benefit of the listeners, um, basically what you've been doing and what you've been working on is deconstructing cannabis 
pretty much and breaking it down to all its little components and separating them and being able to test and, you know, look at them as individual components, right? Exactly. I explained that I eliminate all the undesirable compounds, be it the, the fats, the lipids, the wax, the, 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 the fibrous cellulose, if you will, of the material. And, and I just isolate the beneficial compounds, uh, be it terpenoids and cannabinoids, purified THC, purified THCA, or, or whatever compound I'm going for, you know what I mean? As well as separated refined terpenoids. So in the end, I end up with bottles of chemicals in front of me or powders instead of raw marijuana or black oil or wax or butter or shatter or whatever. And then what, what's the benefit of separating them? How would you use them afterwards? I know, for instance, that the, the liquid uh, terpenes are almost like a perfume. They have like a, a, a very strong, obvious uh, scent, and they smell like the cannabis they were drawn from. Um, and then what would you do with, uh, for instance, um, I mean, like those terp- terpenes can then be re-added to a concentrate or a plant or something of that nature, right? Um, yeah, that, but that's a, a, a recreational mindset, if you will. Um, I really don't come from that mindset. I, I struggle to figure out the whole composition of the compounds I have, meaning the traditional marijuana labs uh, throughout the United States can, you know, let's say that most of them will give you a 10 terpene profile. Some are even sophisticated enough to give you a 30 terpene profile, but that really doesn't tell you much when you have a composition that possibly has hundreds of chemicals in there because they don't have the standards and they don't have the biorhythms in their, their algorithms, should I say, in their computers to to approximate close chemical presence. So they can't give you 100% quantitative analysis. If I go to a lab with some of my compounds and I say, I want to know what 100% of this fluid is so I know if I can sell it to the general public and if it's even safe to inhale. So there's people selling terpenes right now that are not whole terpene compositions. They, they think they are, but they haven't done the analytical work and they haven't done a totality. They, they, they've done a, a run and they figure out that there's lots of terpenes in there, but they haven't looked at the levels versus the amount of fluid that it's in. So the, amount, the, the terpenes that are most of the terpenes that are available on the market today have very small, minute amounts of cannabis terpenes in them. And they're classified as something completely different, but don't want to confuse matters and get into that. But, uh, the whole terpene compositions, I, I isolate these things. I isolate the, the, the cannabinoids and terpenoids and all those other things and try to figure out how to break them down into their most purest pharmaceutical form. But I'm not really qualified to hypothesize what they're good for, what they'll do, what the application's for, or anything else. I'm just a tool that gets the next level of science to where they need to be. And what that means is I just had a conversation that I've got a meeting coming up with a military colonel. I'm not sure what branch of military, but he's been tasked with looking at cannabinoids for a treatment for, uh, as an alternative treatment for the, say, opioids that they're giving veterans right now. They're, I think, losing 22 veterans yeah. per day are committing suicide, not including the overdoses, which is a, 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 it's a, a fucking national yeah. tragedy. And, and to think that they're not allowing them to consume cannabis is another national tragedy. But, but, but the fact is that they have tasked someone to look into this. This individual at first came in with the mindset that he was going to investigate and research cannabis via the raw flower. And then someone said, no, 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 it's about these, these extracts. Well, you know, what's he going to investigate? Something like a Rick Simpson oil, a whole composition plant material? I tell people that, yes, that, that is the direction. You take a whole plant composition, not synthetics, not just isolated compounds, but then you figure out what, what, is doing what you want it to do. What is aiding treatments in glaucoma 
what is aiding this ailment or that ailment and, and what chemical is responsible for that. So then you can take these isolated compounds and accentuate, you know, maybe the, the beta carophylline is, 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 is oxide is, is what's doing what you want it to do. Maybe you'll get it, uh, take the purified form, put it onto the whole plant extract and uh, accelerate the benefit kind of sort of thing. So I'm not really qualified to build the drugs of the future, but I want to separate the compounds that go to make the drugs of the future. I see. And so you're isolating and breaking down the cannabis into its individual cannabinoids, individual terpenes and and such for analysis and for possible pharmaceutical use. But do you believe in the entourage effect? Because, uh, I mean, even though you're the person who is isolating them, you don't necessarily believe that they should be used in isolation, correct? Uh, I I, I don't know. Someone much brighter than I will figure that out. You know, I I believe that, you know, there is something out there that maybe a combination of beta carotene with THCV and CBDA is going to fix them. And somebody else, maybe a whole different chemical cocktail, you know, or maybe, you know, what, what chemical is responsible for tumor reduction? Which chemical is it? Is it all of them? Is it an entourage effect? Mm, it can't be, you know, or maybe it can be all of them, you know. So getting to the bottom of what's doing what is, is what my focus is, or putting things together so somebody else much brighter than I can figure out what's what. Put it that way. Yeah, I totally understand. Um, there are definitely some people out there who might be a little concerned that if cannabis is used to create pharmaceutical drugs, that the plant itself as a medicine might not be allowed any longer, that patients might be forced to get their cannabis medicine through a pharmaceutical company who then charges a lot of money for it and such. Do you believe that the plant itself, regardless of the the breakdown and and what pharmaceuticals may be made from it, which can obviously be, be very beneficial to certain people, but do you believe that the plant itself is a safe medicine and that it should be continued to be used as a medicine as a whole? Oh, a million times. Indisputable. You know, everybody in the world should have the right to grow marijuana in their backyard like tomatoes and consume the whole plant or whatever they choose, whatever, whatever form of cannabis or cannabis derivatives that they choose, they should be allowed to consume because everybody's different. Everybody wants something different. So, you know, uh, and and I don't believe, I believe, you know, based upon what I see with magazines coming out like uh, Marijuana Ventures or Cannabis Business Times, I see huge, large-scale greenhouse producers producing cannabis for 25 cents a gram. It will be for desirable compounds, be it THCA or, or CBDs or whatever the desirable, valuable compound to them is, they're going to produce high levels of that. It'll, get, it'll be refined and manufactured into pharmaceutical products that are on shelf and available as wellness, as cancer preventatives, as this, as that. Um, and you can choose to consume those or you can consume extracts or whole flowers or whatever. I think the whole matrix should be available. But the products that those large-scale producers produce aren't going to be boutique varietals that your average cannabis consumer at, at an event that we see every other month is going to want. They're not going to want, you know, safely pot, put it that way. Right. And then before the break, you mentioned BHO, obviously butane hash oil is what we're referring to, butane honey oil, um, which we haven't discussed too much on this show yet, but we will be getting into uh, in future episodes in quite a lot of depth. So you think that, uh, I mean, obviously we all were fans of traditional hash and BHO has become a huge product on the market, a huge uh, trend in in the cannabis uh, community. 
you believe that BHO is a safe product to use for patients and for recreational use if done correctly. Is that correct? Yeah, if done correctly with the safe materials and it's got, you know, uh, no contaminant in the final product, I don't see anything wrong with it. And how do you see, I mean, obviously Colorado seems to have the most safety and common sense regulations in place for BHO production. Uh, I don't even know are any of the other legal states even allow BHO production or is, I think Washington does or no? Uh, yes, uh, uh, I believe Washington and Oregon both have provisions in place for it. And I think they're trying to mm, straighten it all out. I mean, because I think, ob- I, think, I, I think I think it's still in flux. Obviously, that them coming up with regulations to ensure the safety and quality of it would be paramount to you know oh, to, to yeah. avoid to yeah. avoid uh, you know people being hurt either making it or con- ingesting it. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's the, the the beauty of of legalization is the regulation of and you know now now you have you know uh, regulated production facilities that are inspected that are sending their products to regulated laboratories. And in some forms, we're getting healthier and healthier and healthier products to the general consumer, which to me is a very good thing. And also gets rid of some of the people that are maybe producing or utilizing chemicals to produce their, their raw cannabis that should not be consumed by humans. So it's kind of vetting out the people that don't belong in the industry to begin with. So I consider it a good thing. So, yeah, with, with, with legalization comes regulation. I think that's a good thing. Cool. And is your company going to be helping uh, some of these uh, newer states and newer people in, in these states uh, get get up and running and get their regulations in order? Yeah, I consult with multiple facilities as well as uh, you know cutting licensing agreements with people that want to utilize the name Tricom Technologies to produce uh, products under my licensing agreements. I have uh, proprietary methodologies and, and, and things that will be utilized in the future as far as terpene isolation and cannabis isolation and application and formulation, things like that. So I've got patent applications and provisionals and filings and all kinds of different stuff that other companies can license from my company. Wow. So that's great. Lots of different things in the works. Well, I, I just want to congratulate you on on this new book of yours. Uh, we mentioned the title earlier. It's Marijuana Horticulture Fundamentals. Um, and thank you for the uh, signed copy that you sent me. It's uh, much appreciated. It's a great book. It's a great. Uh, I haven't. I, I just got it, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But it's well uh, illustrated and well laid out, and uh, I look forward to uh, getting through it. Uh, tell me a little about. Uh, I know you must be very proud of it. You've been working on it a long time. Tell me a little about the book, how it came together, and what it took to to put it out. Uh, well, I was fortunate to meet a very nice gentleman named Andrew Macbeth that has a company called Green Candy Press, and he offered me a publishing deal. And, you know, some said, you'll never get a book from Kenny because he'll never sit down and focus long enough to write that book. He just does the job. So there came a time where there was a, a window where I could sit down and actually write that. And, you know, at first I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. The last thing people need is a, a another pot book, you know. Um, but I fed myself for 35 years that way. So I didn't, you know, write it as like, this is the greatest book or anything else. And I state in the front of the book, if you want the greatest book, go buy every book and read all the books. And then you got half the picture, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it's not the best book. It's not the greatest book and never claimed it or anything else, but I did the job, you know what I mean? As opposed to some of the writers went and interviewed people, looked over their shoulder and wrote how they did what they did and stuff. I mean, my book comes from the vantage point is, you know, that, that that's my life's work kind of sort of thing. Most of the photos in there that, you know, when it says photo like, hey, typically that's my work. I did that, you know, and, and trimmed it and cloned it and 
manicured it and cured it and the whole thing. So the book comes from the perspective of someone that really did the job, you know? Absolutely. Well, you should be very proud of it. And uh, I'm proud to have one of the uh, world's foremost cannabis alchemists as one of my friends. So, uh, Kenny, it's been uh, a real pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Thank you very much for your time and everything you've done, Bob. I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, man. Tell people where they can find you online or where they can order your book. Uh, Tricom Technologies at Instagram and Facebook, and the book is available on Amazon or where books are sold or Green Candy Press. All right. Thanks a lot, Kenny. Good luck to you, man. Thank you very much, Bob. Take care. All right. That's about it for this week's edition of Blazin'. I want to remind you guys to please check out our Facebook page, uh, give us a like, leave us some feedback, facebook.com slash BB. You can also follow me on social media, Twitter at Bobby Black, and Facebook and Instagram, Bobby Black 420. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, we ask that you please click the subscribe button and also leave us a review. Thank you all for listening. I hope you'll tune in and talk up with us again next week and every week on Blazin'. Until then, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on, brothers and sisters. Blaze on.